Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game-based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. MiniCoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out MiniCoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today is Monday, August 29th, 2022, and I wanted to say a few words about Jay Powell's speech at Jackson Hole on Friday, the effect it's had on equity markets, and what it seems to indicate about where the Fed is going. Now, on Thursday, I had tweeted out something, just a kind of a general statement about the Fed saying, trillions in capital will be directed one way or another based purely on what one bureaucrat says or doesn't say in a statement in Wyoming. There is no such thing as a free market with a monetary system like this. And I was anticipating that Powell was either going to double down on the hawkish stance that the Fed is supposedly going to keep until inflation is, price inflation that is, is conquered, or that perhaps there was a chance he was going to say something indicating maybe they're going to start easing up a little bit. I didn't think that was going to happen. But if you remember, a lot of people read into his July statement about the 75 basis point rate cut that perhaps somehow the Fed was starting to equivocate, that maybe the rate cuts going forward would not be quite so severe, and that if inflation had truly peaked in June, since we got a a print in July that was slightly lower than the 9.1% year-over-year in June, that all these things together would indicate that Powell was going to turn around and, and either stop raising rates, stop raising rates quite so quickly, or to some people even start lowering rates, although I don't think too many people thought that would occur anytime soon. But on Friday, he put all of that to rest, at least for the moment, to the extent that we can believe him, that he made probably the most hawkish statement I've heard watching the Fed for the last 15 or 16 years. And basically the message was, hey, it was nice to see 
that decrease from 9.1% in June to 9. or to 8.5% in July, but we're nowhere near where we need to be that price inflation is much more harmful than an economic slowdown and that the Fed was going to continue to use restrictive policy to try to bring down the rate of inflation. So that was the message. And of course, the markets immediately tanked. They got hit for, I think the S&P was down over 3% as well as the Dow. The NASDAQ was down almost 4% all in one day. And as I'm recording this here on Monday morning, the markets are all down pretty well, almost 1% in addition to those big losses on Friday. Now, they may snap back for whatever reason. We don't know. But certainly some air coming out of what, what I consider an extremely inflated bubble in those equity markets. And just a few things about Powell's statement that I wanted to kind of make a comment on, because as usual, Powell, like every other central banker, doesn't admit that the Fed has anything to do with this price inflation that we're seeing. They're just the savior to come in and try and to bring it back down after this this Wild West free market has bid prices up too much. And let me just give you the latest example of that. During his speech, he said, our responsibility to deliver price stability is unconditional. It is true that the current high inflation is a global phenomenon and that many economies around the world face inflation as high or higher than seen here in the United States. It is true in my view that the current inflation in the United States is the product of strong demand and constrained supply, and that the Fed's tools work principally on aggregate demand. None of this diminishes the Federal Reserve's responsibility to carry out our assigned task of achieving price stability. There is clearly a job to do in moderating demand to better align with supply. We are committed to doing that job. So what's causing the inflation, he's saying, is this high demand combined with lower supply. Now, what's the reason for the lower supply? Because we're still feeling the effects of the absolutely useless, harmful, and unprecedented COVID lockdown, something that did nothing to mitigate the, the spread of COVID, but caused probably generational harm to the economy. And this is the reason that we still have issues with getting supplies of needed, not only consumer goods, but supplies of components and other higher order goods in the production process. But here's the thing. If we fail to produce enough, so supply is, is lower, then where's the demand coming from? And this goes back to what I've said on previous podcasts, there is no way for all prices to rise or prices to rise in general without an increase in the money supply. It's just impossible. Yes, politicians can make, let's say, the price of gasoline go up or the price of some other commodity in particular going up with bad policies. Given a fixed amount of money in the economy, if the price of one thing goes up, then the demand for something else must go down. 
because you're just going to run out of currency units to spend on that other thing. So the only way for all prices to go up is an increase in the money supply. And of course, that is what happened during the COVID pandemic, that the Fed more than doubled its balance sheet. Now, you, you can hear a lot of different numbers thrown around about the effect on the money supply because you have to remember that once the Fed creates a certain amount of dollars, that the money supply can be counted many different ways. Those dollars hit banks if they, if they lend them out and those lent funds hit another bank and then that bank can also lend out those funds. We don't have reserve requirements anymore, although there are other constraints on, on how much that money can be relent. But to make a long story short, there's lots of different ways to measure the money supply. We see M1, we see M2, but there's no doubt that the Fed created almost $5 trillion between 2020, March of 2020, and 2022. And that is the reason why prices are going up in general. Of course, he's never going to acknowledge that. The Fed has never acknowledged that prices go up because of what they do. But then they do, as I said, paint themselves as the savior for prices coming down due to their, their tightening policy. And I want to talk about the tightening policy and whether he really is tightening by raising the, interest, the federal funds interest rate. I should say targeting a higher federal funds interest rate because that's not really set in stone anymore. But I'll talk about that in a minute. I do want to point out that all up until this time, Powell has continued to say that the economy is very strong and he was going to fight inflation and, and lead us to the mythical soft landing that's never happened in Fed history before. Well, he's abandoned that now. Now he's saying that this is going to cause pain, but he can't even say that straight. So let me get to his statements on what the effects of his interest rate policy are going to be. He says, while higher interest rates, slower growth, and softer labor market conditions will bring down inflation, they will also bring some pain to households and businesses. These are the unfortunate costs of reducing inflation, but a failure to restore price stability would mean far greater pain. So might very well be true. I, I can't really disagree with anything he says there. It's just funny that now he's admitting that what he's doing is going to hurt the economy because that's the only thing the Fed can do to try and reverse the inflation it created by printing more money. Let's take a short break for this important message. Friends, if you're enjoying the content here on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can support my efforts here a couple of ways at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support. You can join my Patreon for as little as $3 per month and get machine transcripts to every episode and access to my members-only MeWe group, while all Access patrons also get my paid subscriber-only articles and videos, or you can become a VIP patron to get all of that, plus access to all of my online courses and a signed copy of the Tom Mullen book of your choice. 
Now, if you prefer Substack, I also post my paid subscriber-only content there. Find links to all the ways you can support the show at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support. That's TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support. Become a supporter of Tom Mullen Talks Freedom today. And now let's get back to our episode. Now, remember, the whole Keynesian idea about why the price inflation is occurring, you know, has to ignore that it's the creation of new money, which hopefully my previous comments have showed you is the only way that prices in general can go up. But they have this ridiculous idea that the economy can overheat, which I've never understood how people could buy that if people are producing too much, that that could cause prices to rise. And this is because Keynesians only look at demand. So they they simply say that if, if demand is going up because people are earning more money, then prices are going to have to go up. Just ignoring the fact that they're earning more money and able to demand more things by producing more goods and services. So, of course, that would not cause a general rise in prices. And we know this from the 19th century because prices went down over the 19th century as the economy grew exponentially. And, you know, people produced far more goods and services as that century wore on. What was different? There was a gold standard constraining the creation of new. Now, people still operated on a fractional reserve. And there were little bubbles and busts along the way, but there was a huge constraint on how out of hand that could get because of the gold standard. Because at the end of the day, people could come and demand ounces of gold for their dollars or banknotes. And there was eventually a reckoning. But anyway, notice how Powell once again contradicts his statements from earlier meetings. Like every time he comes out to talk, he basically says without saying it that everything I told you the last time is baloney. So (laughs) he now says that this is going to cause pain, but he can't even say that straight without contradicting himself in the next paragraph. He says the U.S. economy is clearly slowing from the historically high growth rates of 2021 which reflected the reopening of the economy following the pandemic recession. While the latest economic data have been mixed, in my view, our economy continues to show strong underlying momentum. The labor market is particularly strong, but it is clearly out of balance with demand for workers substantially exceeding the supply of available workers. So which is it? Is is the underlying economy strong with strong underlying momentum or is it slowing? Now, GDP, which again, you can punch holes in every one of these government measures and just say, you know, they're all foo-foo. But just based on his own worldview, GDP has gone down two quarters in a row. It's decreased. So we're producing less goods and services. 
but we still have low unemployment. And that's, of course, aided by several things. One is that when people give up on looking for a job, they just take them out of the workforce and they're no longer counted as unemployed. So the unemployment number as of July was at 3.5%, exactly where it was in January of 2020 before the pandemic. And of course, unemployment is always the last thing to rise. Layoffs are the last thing companies do. Right now, they're starting to report disappointing earnings and more importantly, disappointing outlook for future earnings. So this is like the leading edge of the indicators that say that either a recession is coming or we're already in one. I mean, to me, if you're producing less with more workers and more jobs, then first of all, obviously you're not doing a good job in the aggregate of allocating capital because it's now taking more people to produce less stuff or less services. So already a sign that something is askew. Meanwhile, it's everybody's experience that you go around to places like restaurants and then they're not even open the hours they used to be and they all say they can't find enough workers. So clearly there's a whole bunch that's askew And now that the markets believe for the moment that Powell is not going to pivot to less restrictive or easing, the market indexes are plummeting. Why? Because they were only being held up with the idea that more funny money was on the way. And now they're going to have to adjust to reality. And with companies reporting negative outlooks for earnings in the future, you know, the market tries to price months and months into the future, and we should expect those to come down. I should say this is not investment advice. I guess I'm supposed to say that. I wouldn't think anybody would take my investment advice anyway. Not that I do so bad. I've done pretty well, I think, in my own estimation, but but I'm just making observations on what I believe are the macroeconomic indicators. Anyway, the last thing I wanted to get to is that As you know, the Austrian economists believe that monetary policy is central and crucial to the way our economy behaves. And there are skeptics out there, even among free market advocates. If you remember my interview with A.J. Rice on Friday, he brought up John Tamney, who is certainly a friend, not a personal friend, but a friend of us free market proponents, but he thinks that the Fed is pretty much inconsequential in affecting the economy. I, on the other hand, think that politicians and their policies in an aggregate sense are inconsequential, and that's the point of my book, It's the Fed Stupid. But when Tamney makes his arguments, he zeroes in on how inconsequential he believes the Fed funds rate is. And I'm not sure that there isn't something to that. Now, the Fed funds rate supposedly is going to affect interest rates in general among lenders in the economy, so that by raising the Fed funds rate, you are raising the rate that any lender would offer a loan to externally, because let's just say if, if 
I am paying, if I'm the Fed and I'm paying the member banks 1% on their excess reserves, well, they're not going to go out and lend at 1% and take a risk when they can get that 1% guaranteed from the Fed. So they're going to you know, loan at some reasonable profit above what they could earn from the Fed. And now if I raise that rate to 2%, well, they're not going to loan to the market anything less than 2.25 or 2.5%, something like that. So that's the logic behind the federal funds rate affecting the economy out, outside the Federal Reserve System. Now, I just want to point out, and I know I have made this point previously, but we've got a lot of new people listening these days, that in before 2008, raising the federal funds rate had a much more direct effect on the money supply because banks did not have these trillions in excess reserves in the aggregate. So the way that the Federal Reserve raised the Fed funds rate was to go right into their depositor money and remove it and replace it with, let's say, a treasury bond that they were holding on their balance sheet. So the Fed gives the bank a a treasury bond and it takes cash away from the member bank. And remember, they had a minimum reserve requirement. So let's say that, you know, the bank had just pick a small round number, a million dollars in total deposits at their bank. Those are liabilities that somebody could come and withdraw. Well, of course, they don't have a million dollars in their vaults because of the fractional reserve system. It used to be a 10% requirement. So if they had a million dollars deposits total, then they had to have at least 100,000 on hand to satisfy any immediate demands for cash from those depositors. Now you could see that's a fractional reserve and there's already a problem, but we won't get into that now. Let's take a short break for this important message. Friends, if you like to read books as much as I do, there comes a time when you realize you just won't ever find the time to read every book you're interested in. Well, I have great news. Blinkist offers the key ideas from nonfiction bestsellers in as little as 15 minutes. For most books and their extensive library, you can choose to read or listen to Blinks, which summarize the main ideas and allow you to absorb whole books in the time it takes to run your daily errands or commute to work. Not only does Blinkist allow you to glean the information you need from books you don't have time to read, It helps you to decide which ones to spend time reading and get more details. You can try out Blinkist for free and get 20% off your first year by going to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. That's TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist. Start your free trial and get 20% off today. And now let's get back to the show. I just want to make the point that back before 2008, that 100000 that was there, the Fed used to come in and take some of that when they were raising the federal funds rate and, and thereby force banks to make fewer loans immediately. 
and thereby decreasing the overall money supply directly by pulling that money right out of the economy. And as of 2008, when they flooded the banks with liquidity, they no longer raised the federal funds rate by drawing dollars directly out of the economy. They're just raising the rate on those excess reserves, which are not part of M1 or M2 or any of those measures. So it still is an incentive to either lend at higher rates, not lend as much. If you lend at higher rates, there won't be as much demand for loans because the price is higher. So it certainly has an effect, but it doesn't remove money from the economy the way it used to, just raising the federal funds rate. And that's why in addition to just raising the federal funds rate, the Fed has to do quantitative tightening, which is the open market operation they used to do to raise the federal funds rate. They have to do it separately now and sell those assets, usually treasury bonds, but there's a whole bunch of other things on the Fed's balance sheet now. They have to sell those to the banks and that way pull the cash out. So they announced that they were going to be doing that in addition to raising rates. Okay, so you have these two different monetary policies going on at the same time. And in May, they issued a statement that gave a schedule that they were going to use in in reducing their balance sheet, which means reducing the balance sheet is how much money, how many dollars they're going to pull out of the economy by selling back these assets off their balance sheet. And let me read to you what they said in May. Beginning June 1st, principal payments from securities held in the SOMA will be reinvested to the extent that they exceed monthly caps. For Treasury securities, the cap will initially be set at $30 billion per month, and after three months, will increase to $60 billion per month. The decline in holdings of Treasury securities under this monthly cap will include Treasury coupon securities, and to the extent that coupon maturities are less than the monthly cap, Treasury bills. For agency debt and agency Mortgage-backed securities, the cap will initially be set at $17.5 billion per month, and after three months, will increase to $35 billion per month. Now, I know there's a lot of jargon in there, but overall, what they're saying here is they're going to sell a combined set of securities off their balance sheet, supposedly at $47 billion a month for June, July, and August, and then at $95 billion per month thereafter. So the question first comes to mind, did they sell during June, July, and August $47 billion per month of securities off their balance sheet, thereby removing that base money from the system? That would mean that the Federal Reserve's balance sheet should be $141 billion lower than it was on June 1st. So if I take a look at their recent balance sheet trends chart, on June 1st, their balance sheet was at $8.915 trillion. Down, by the way, from the peak, the peak was on April 13th at 8.965. So it was already 50 billion down 
from the peak in April when what they had been saying was they weren't going to consciously reduce it until starting on June 1st. So we have that. But then on June 1st, it's at $8.915 trillion. The latest number I have here as of August 24th is $8.851 trillion. So let's do a little math. How, how far down have they reduced their balance sheet? $64 billion. So nowhere close to the amount of money that they said they were going to remove from the economy in the first three months of this supposed quantitative tightening. It is lower, and I'm trying to give them the benefit of the most doubt I can. If you were to take that April high of $8.96 or $8.965 trillion and subtract you know, the present balance sheet total, you still only come up with about $114 billion. So they're $114 billion lower than the peak. They're only $64 billion since June 1st when they were supposed to be going $47 billion a month for three months. So, so far, very little tightening there. And the only other variable in this is the money they have tied up in the reverse repo market. Now, this, a lot of people have called kind of a stealth tightening. And I think I've done something on the reverse repo market in the past. But basically, the this is where securities are purchased on a temporary basis, sometimes overnight or for as long as two weeks. And in the in the repo market, this is where the Fed would buy a security and thereby give some cash to somebody who needed it, a bank that needed it, but it's on a temporary basis where there's a promise to repurchase that security in the future. In the reverse repo market, it's the, the opposite happening. The Fed is actually selling that security, but only on a temporary basis. So it's taking cash out of the system, promising to give that cash back in in exchange for the security. So it's a real weird thing. It's like you're lending the Federal Reserve money, which makes no sense whatsoever. But it is a way for the Fed, if they just keep these transactions going, that they can tie up cash in the reverse repo market that's not circulating in the economy. So that did temporarily go up. They had already, on June 1st, had a total of $1.965 trillion tied up in this market. And it went up between June 1st and, let's say, June. It peaked at $2.3 trillion on June 30th. So for that first month, you had an increase of over 200 billion that's that is kind of tied up in this market that's kind of like a time bomb because at any point if the fed normalizes the rate they're offering there all that money just kind of gets released so it's not really tightening but they did increase that and then it's remained stable over the ensuing months so it's actually back down to i think 2. 2.182 trillion so it's it's down from the high the amount of money tied up there but if you look at the chart and I'll post it on the show notes it's been pretty flat since that initial bump in June and then it's just gone sideways 
since then. So I don't know if you want to call that tightening. Certainly those dollars that are tied up there are not available to be lent or spent or anything else. So very interesting. But I guess I just wanted to point out that you know these interest rate hikes are not necessarily fighting inflation with the leverage that they used to have because they're not removing dollars from the economy. And when you look into whether the Fed really has removed dollars from the economy, the answer is much slower than they said they were going to do back in May. And whether or not they're going to step that up in September, as promised, we'll see. Will it go to the $90 billion a month it's supposed to be, pulling dollars out? Probably not, since they didn't hit $47 billion a month over these past three months. Will it go higher than it is now? Will he keep raising interest rates, which have a dampening effect, but don't really remove that much money from the economy? All these things we'll have to see. So all in all, we'll have to see what effect the Fed policy really has on that inflation number. I mean, if we get a print of something like 8 or 7.8, you know, even though that's lower than July, we've still got very high price inflation. And don't forget one last thing, that as time goes on, even though prices are rising just as much, the year over year should go down because you start to run into months of higher prices in the past. So 9% higher in July 2022 over July 2021, you wouldn't expect, let's say, the December print to be as high simply because we're dealing with last December's prices instead of last July's prices. So as prices move up over time, it gets almost the inflation rate has a, a naturally decreasing effect. But at the same time, there are other forces that can fan the flames of that inflation, including people's expectations that inflation is going to persist. So what I take away from it is that Powell wanted to put out the fire, so to speak, of the talk that he may pivot his monetary policy on interest rates. But in the meantime, he's not doing very much in decreasing the money supply nowhere near what he said he was going to. But then again, he's got this repo thing going on on the side, reverse repo. So very confusing, I know, but we'll. I've heard a lot of people predicting some kind of big stock market event in the fall, maybe next month, maybe the month after. We'll have to see about that too. Sooner or later, we believe that stock market prices and housing prices and everything have to adjust to the reality of the economy. And I think we're seeing the leading signs that that adjustment's about to happen. That's all for today. I hope some of this shed some light on what's going on with the Federal Reserve and what we might expect to see in the economy. Remember, nothing that they say is the whole truth. Sometimes there's kernels of truth, but their overall narrative, of course, is false. On Wednesday, I'm going to have another member of Young Americans for Liberty. Her name is Chloe Knopf, and she is a graduate student in Connecticut who is running into our old friend, the vaccine mandate. So for all of you who are fortunate enough to be able to work or go to school without having to 
show proof of vaccination. This is not over for millions of people. She's going to be on to talk about her story and how she's fighting it on Wednesday. So again, if you haven't already, make sure you go to itsthefedstupid.com and download a free PDF copy of my book, It's the Fed Stupid. It'll also give you an opportunity to purchase the paperback if you've got any money left over after filling your gas tank. And let me say thank you to all the new supporters of Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. If you want to find out how to sign up for my Patreon or my Substack, go to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com support and become a member of Tom Mullen Talks Freedom today. All kinds of additional benefits uh, other than the podcast and additional articles for paid subscribers only. And as always, if you like the music you've heard here on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at TomMullenSings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.